Hello, my name is Adam Eason. Welcome to episode 65 of Hypnosis Weekly. Hello Hypnosis friends and a very warm welcome to Hypnosis Weekly episode 65. Uh, Once again in my own highly biased opinion I think we have a Storm Doris whirlwind of a show lined up for you today. Yes indeed this uh, Hypnosis Weekly edition being recorded here at the Eason Empire HQ offices at the foot of my home garden. These offices are currently swaying precariously as the winds of Storm Doris batter the sides, the walls, providing us with a lovely bit of background ambience today. Still, it beats whale music or panpipes, in my opinion. And at least you know that I'm not actually accompanied here by a person heavily mouth-breathing in my office. In a short while, I'll be sharing with you an interview with my guest, Dr. Birgit Zotman. Then, replacing this week's hypnosis in the news stories... Uh, We have a segment recorded by founder and organiser of the UK Hypnosis Convention, a friend of the show, a friend of mine, former guest Nick Ebden. He'll be talking about something very close to his heart and mine, to be honest. We then return with our professional discussion with my guest, Dr. Birgit Zotman. We'll be talking about her work using mindfulness with, uh, with her hypnotherapy clients. We'll round things off with this week's hypnosis evidence-based factoid before I bid you farewell for another week. As I say at the beginning of every Hypnosis Weekly episode, this podcast is something that I want to encompass a feeling of embracing diversity, celebrating the field of hypnosis and encouraging friendly, professional, enjoyable discussion and debate, as well as doing its best to inform and educate. I do not share the same stance as most of our guests and at times have major differences in approach and leaning, but all are incredibly lovely people with whom I'd happily talk with until late in the pub, and all of whom following their time here on Hypnosis Weekly, I have a great deal of respect for. If you have questions, queries, thoughts or feedback, do get in touch via the Hypnosis Weekly website. All the references made in the discussions, along with related links, are posted at each episode on the website www.hypnosis-weekly.com. You can add your thoughts, comments, make any suggestions there too. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter, anywhere else. Help us reach more of the hypnosis community. It's greatly appreciated. If you enjoy this podcast, then please do go give us a favourable rating and even review us at iTunes. I'll be your BFF if you do. Additionally, any listener to the Hypnosis Weekly podcast can get a 20% discount on all of my advanced online hypnosis trainings, including my Cognitive Behavioral Hypnotherapy Certification, our Hypnotic Coaching Course, our Advanced Hypnotherapy Diploma, and our Hypnotherapist Business Development Academy. Simply visit my college website, aecollegeofhypnosis.uk, use the code PODCAST20, it'll happen. So, first of all today is this week's interview. I very briefly met Dr. Birgit Zotman at the UK Hypnosis Convention. However, I'd actually touched base with her about coming on the show quite a while before then. She was jet-setting around the world at the time, and I eventually managed to pin her down this year. I really wanted to speak to her about the topic that we discuss later in the show, because although I think many people 
uh, uh, tend to have an awareness of in some strain in, in, or some sort of rough familiarity with mindfulness. Very few actually speak about how to effectively integrate it into the work of a hypnotherapist. Um, we've welcomed many guests from all over the world on this show and I'm delighted to have Dr. Zottmann speaking to me from the continent over in Germany. So for now, get comfy my friends, turn up the volume, sip on your tea. Enjoy this week's interview. So, as I've just been discussing, I'm delighted to welcome to Hypnosis Weekly the one and only Dr. Birgit Zottman. Uh, welcome to the show. Hello, hi. So, tell us a little bit about yourself, first of all. How, how did you get into this field? Um, and what's, what's your background and, and how have you arrived at where you are now? Um, my background, I studied and went to school here in Frankfurt. Um, and my interest was always about people, how people, why they are, how they are. And I was always interested in, in, in people. Yeah. But I went to Lufthansa, worked a long time for Lufthansa, the German airline. And then I decided to learn more. And I met someone, and I was a smoker. Not a heavy smoker, but just a package a day yeah. and I want to get rid of it and he promised me with hypnosis it's very easy and so. I thought by myself hypnosis is ah, some esoteric stuff I don't like at all um, but I give it a try and it worked so so great for me yeah. I smoked again and this is now 16 years ago Correct. And this was a really great experience, and I started to learn hypnosis first in in Germany, yeah. uh, and then I like the U.S. very very much, and so I have re had a reason to go <laughs> to <laughs> the U.S. and I saw a lot of teachers and Carl Bannon and some other guys, and yes, it was really good and yeah. so yes and now i have a private practice in frankfurt and bad Vilbel for almost 16 years now yeah, yeah. yes and i yeah. see clients every day mm. and and so so with regards to hypnosis um, um wh wh where are you at with regards to hypnosis so how do you define it or or how do you explain it to your clients and the people that uh, that you see and um and perhaps you can give us an idea of how you arrived at that definition over the time i am very influenced by john overdorf and um igor ledoshevsky and i like to do the conversation with hypnosis very very much yeah um, hypnosis is for me uh, to focus something I see my work as opening people in their heart to do something new in their life. Yeah. Um, and this is really interesting, not formal. I do, of course, formal hypnosis with an introduction and everything because the people think that's how hypnosis should be. Yeah. But I think I influence more people before my clients before <laughs> conversational hypnosis yeah yeah 
yeah uh, i see so so um i'm um, re really just just something that is a lot more organic than than some of the sort of structured uh processes in the way in which it's done um you mentioned um eagle and uh, and you mentioned john overdurf there um um could, could you tell us a little bit about some of your major influences in this field perhaps some of the books and the authors that have taught you the most, perhaps some of the teachers that have been most influential upon you and the reasons why? The most influential um, teachers, yes, it's Melissa, Melissa Tears. Oh, yes. Uh, she loves her clients. She is a very people-minded. She's open. She's not so... The, um, I don't like the hypnosis. You read a script and then this is hypnosis for a lot of people I know. And this is not the hypnosis, not the ch it's a change work. Mm. And to be open to be curious, um, this I learned from Melissa and John Overdorf. Yeah. And Igor Letoshevsky, I'm hearing all, all the time something of him um, because he's a good teacher and yes yeah yeah um um i spent a lot of time in discussions with igor um both both here on the on the podcast and him and i did a master class together and i love the um, um i love that he draws upon so many different elements of knowledge um so yes. so just tell us a little bit about some of the most impressive applications of hypnosis that, you, that you've directly witnessed i mean you mentioned your own your own experience with stopping smoking um what about what about some of some some other examples uh, that you found to be really impressive as far as hypnosis is concerned that you've that you've witnessed the most impressive thing is always the non-smoking stuff because it's so easy three hours and then they wrap me it's so easy i can't imagine uh, how easy it is with your help with hypnosis and mm. that's always always really pleasant all the other stuff is it's a long-term thing um, I get good reviews and but the most powerful thing I think is always this uh, stop smoking because yeah. it um, yes, it's it's my thing. I realize it in my body, in my brain, and so this is is and was very impressive. Yeah, yeah, and 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 people have a people have a lot of belief um, attached to smoking, don't they? Very often that that they don't believe. I mean, you even mentioned, for example, you even mentioned that you know you, you initially when you started out you, you you didn't believe that it was necessarily going to help you that much and and i think some smokers um they have a lot of belief entrenched in their habit and and so it can be it can be quite difficult um and i think a lot of people find it quite challenging it's really refreshing for me to hear um that you that you know you, you work so prolifically with smokers and that it's and, and that it's something that you find a fairly simple process. Yes, it's a simple process. Yeah. And I mm, and most important for me is that it's really simple for my clients as well. If you regard something as very very heavy, then it's heavy. Yeah. And the first thing I I a lot of things I'm doing is to educate somebody to something. 
yes yeah. and if it's it's just a habit like we have so many habits it's um, if I get the people to think that's easy that they give that to try to do something easily that's joyful mm. and um, I'm very influenced by the book of Jeffrey Schwartz I don't know if you know him you are not your brain ah yes the four step protocol yeah and Jeffrey Schwartz um, there I do is self-compassion as well because yeah. Jeffrey Schwartz is telling us it's much more easy to change a habit if you are doing this for yourself for your values um, and so I combine this with mindfulness as well yes yeah. to do something for yourself so that you are free and if the people are feeling this they can stop smoking at once. It's, it's not a problem. They don't suffer. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's lovely to hear. So, so, you know, you, you've been working professionally for for, for a, a lot a lot of years now. You know, the, the sixteen years that you've been working um, currently. If you could go back to when you first started out, you know, training and exploring this field, and first started out as a hypnosis and a hypnotherapy professional, knowing knowing what you know now with these 16 years of experience, is there anything that you would do differently? And, and if so, what? And is there any advice that the person you are today would give that younger you? And would you extend that advice to, to the hypnotherapists that are listening to the show? I would go only to good teachers. I waste a lot of money and time for bad teachers. Mm. Teachers tell you to read scripts, to do an introduction, how important an introduction and the death of, of the hypnosis is. I don't believe it anymore. It's mm. not important to change somebody's believing system. And I wasted a lot of time and money for not so good teachers. Mm. So yeah, I think that sometimes it's just really difficult for people that are new to the field to know who is a good trainer and, and what a good trainer is. Would you agree? Yes. Um, but I think you have to think, what is a good trainer? I believe in every, we are changing all the time and change is with experience and experience is learning for me and you can see on the trainers who is learning and who is telling you I know the truth um, and I don't believe in the truth um, and you see it in the bios everything what they learned what and for me it's very very important and I am looking back, this is the most important thing. And I um, didn't realize it before that it's so important, the learning process, that you not learn just about hypnosis, but to related things, that you know something about your brain. There's so much good stuff to learn and um, that you're interested in um, in things in psycho in what it's new in psychology yeah 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 absolutely and and yeah and and i mean speaking of that speaking of um um you know psychology and so on and and, and about what goes on in the brain do you have 
do you have any thoughts and, and what are your thoughts with regards to sort of research-based or evidence-based approaches to hypnotherapy? For hypnotherapy, there is, for me, um, hypnotherapy is working with digestion, and you can't have a scientific approach to it. It's so different and, um, than mindfulness. Mindfulness, you can measure what is happening with mindfulness because it's always the same. You are doing the same and. Hypnosis, every hypnosis session is totally different. And I think it's not the worth of hypnosis that somebody is telling it's working. Of course it's working. And the people realize it. And um, I think there is no statement, no definition, what is hypnosis. Mm. And so we can't measure, we can't scientific. Mm, approve something what we have no definition of mm. and there are so many people and um, I'm a lot with hypnot other hypnotherapists and everybody is, is telling you what I'm doing is the only and standard it should be standard yeah. I think it I do hypnosis different than other people better um, it fits to my person uh, and this is the most important thing, I think. Yeah. It's to my person how I touch the heart of my clients, how I can, how I am able to influence them. And I learned um, some techniques about it, yes. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. So, um, um, where can people go to learn more about your work and more about your approach to hypnosis? On my website. On your website. Um, um, and we will put a link to your website at this episode. Um, um, can you just share with everybody what, what that is? Um, I combine mindfulness and hypnosis. Is that what you want to hear? Uh, no, sorry. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll edit that out. Um, um, no, if you could just give us your website address. It's hypnosis... Um, I think for you it's it's the same institute. This is it's another spelling than you in English. Yeah. Uh, minus dr Sutman. Oh uh, yeah, I'll tell you. Yeah, yeah. So maybe maybe it'll be a bit easier for me just to say ah uh, yeah that we can find it. Um, the th 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 there'll be a link at this this yes. episode's page. Yeah, yeah, we'll do that. Yeah. Okay, so um, <coughs> we'll be back uh, in a short while, and we'll be discussing mindfulness and and hypnotherapy, the specialist subject of Dr. Zotman, um, in just a few short minutes' time. <laughs> I enjoyed that. More from Birgit in a short while. 
Um, instead of our usual hypnosis in the news slot, or, or me uh, waxing lyrical about issues I consider worthy of discussion in the field of hypnotherapy here, this week uh, I'm delighted to welcome back to the show Nick Ebden. Um, earlier this year, Nick wrote a blog article that really resonated with me. Um, I've added a link to the blog entry on this episode's page of the Hypnosis Weekly website. I encourage you to go and read it if you'd like to. Um, Nick highlighted a couple of frustrations and some of the issues that we face as a field. Um, it's an issue that's not necessarily faced by the entire field, but an issue faced by those of us who wish to bring the field of hypnosis and hypnotherapy away from the fringes, away from those pitching it as, as fantastical, and more in the direction of it being perceived as credible, evidence-based, and a viable option to members of the public seeking assistance with a wide range of therapeutic issues. I shall not say any more for now, but will instead hand you straight over to Nick Ebden. Enjoy this. Last year I made a promise to myself that however frustrating, irritating or exasperating I found many of the threads, comments and contributions in the various social media hypnosis and NLP forums, I was resolutely not going to get dragged into all the bullshit. Instead I decided that I had one of two options available to me and that I could either distance myself or disassociate myself with the unnecessary shenanigans and regurgitated crap that seemed to perpetually fly around or just observe it all with a dignified silence. I think too the concerns and worries I had in organising and promoting the very first UK hypnosis convention also served as a constant reminder of the potential upside that remaining impartial could bring in terms of ticket sales. With this in mind, throughout the course of the year, I tried to maintain a neutrality in situations where I may have felt compelled to chime in or to tell someone to shut them up. In hindsight, I was much the better off for it, and though I sometimes felt pangs of guilt for not jumping to the defence of certain easy targets in some of the more acerbic exchanges, in truth, their supervisors or trainers should have stepped in on their behalf anyway. Quite why hypnotists, hypnotherapists and NLPers feel so compelled to perpetually argue is beyond me, though we can hazard a guess that the extremes of ego and insecurity, combined with having way too much time on their hands, and an actual lack of real congruence in what they are doing, all contributed in some measure as to why barely a day went past last year without a quarrel breaking out in any one of the professional forums. The actual truth is that the vast majority of the profession has long periods with not enough work and are completely uncomfortable with what they are doing. Though you're going to find plenty of people trying to convince themselves and others that it's there in abundance and because of this a lot of bollocks is tolerated. They say that empty vessels make the most noise and it does not take any great leaps of the imagination to deduce that there are a lot of hypnotists, a lot of hypnotherapists, NLPers and then trainers of the above running on empty and constantly making a dreadful and pointless din because of it. Quite what the general public think of the catcalling and verbal exchanges is anyone's guess but let's assume that it doesn't wholly endear them to the hypnosis profession. And yet... For all the tiresome and regurgitated arguments I managed to sidestep last year, there is one topic which pulls me in every time. And that is because I find it way more harmful to the industry than the problems of the aforementioned egos and insecurities and their daily jostle for the position of he or she that knows best. And that topic is the unnecessary marrying of telepathy or psychic powers to hypnotherapy. As a result, 
I had barely made it out of the first weeks of 2017 before I found myself publicly and constructively, might I add, trying to snuff out the presented notion that telepathic hypnotherapy was a thing and that there was research to support it. It isn't and there wasn't. In case you haven't realised, telepathy and hypnosis are not connected in my opinion. But, even with the most fanciful of thinking, were we to assume they were, they still shouldn't be discussed in the same breath. Because hypnosis is an enigma and because hypnotists and hypnotherapists cannot entirely agree on what it absolutely is, a few in the profession feel they have carte blanche to incorporate other phenomena deemed as unexplainable into it too. And in this instance, telepathy. Now before we discuss telepathy, or specifically telepathic hypnosis, let me just say that this is not an exercise in judging anyone. Anyone who believes in such a thing exists. Although for my part, there is no credible evidence to substantiate it does exist. But rather, judging it as an affront to hypnotherapy and hypnosis, and more sinisterly, a potential vehicle to exploit the needy, gullible and vulnerable. Now, a thread was posted on one of the better LinkedIn hypnosis forums under the banner of telepathic hypnosis. And the linked article that it posted about research that wasn't research or research long since refuted led me to a website with a GoFundMe link seeking donations for £5,000 to fund research into, I quote, bringing relief from negative voice intrusions and educating and informing the psychiatric community of the efficacy of drug-free methods, all of which is on a website worryingly connected, connecting rather said research to hypnosis and to hypnotherapy. Well, where to start? Firstly, anyone with half, half a brain will look at the scant proof and evidence cited to support telepathic hypnosis and with minimal research or effort of their own, be able to dismiss it very quickly. This isn't the first debate or argument I've had about telepathy and psychic ability, and I pointed out on the thread that many people who vehemently support such notions often reminded me of the typical conspiracy theorists. Both cherry-picking subjective and immediately dubious data and throwing it out there as fact, and when challenged, tell others to join the dots and to do the research themselves as if it's all there to find, and yet surprisingly difficult to be produced by them when asked. They may also point you in the direction of other sources with equally empty premises but stating them as fact in the hope that you don't see the deliberate mistake, all the while telling you of regurgitated anecdotes that clearly never happened to them personally. Secondly, if you are going to make claims, especially contentious ones, realise that rather than be defensive, accept rather reasonably that the responsibility to back up those claims and validate them should lie absolutely with you. The originator of the original post uh, disappeared when the questions and comments became a little too specific, but not before sharing with us the, the quote, I didn't know until I looked, and when I found the evidence, I put it to the test, so now I can confidently say, I now know. Though for someone asking for five grand to fund knowing even more than he knows already, he doesn't quite get around to sharing or demonstrating to us so that we know exactly what it is that he knows, at least in any digestible form. The problem is, is if you do make statements, and especially if you use words like research and evidence, the burden of proof is on you to back it up when people are questioning you about it. My friend Adam Eason, who as far as I'm aware does not teach telepathic hypnosis, um, wrote a piece last year on Bertrand Russell's teapot theory and the burden of proof. 
and I suggest if you can find the link, it will make an interesting read. Going back to what we were talking about, lastly and most importantly of all, I very strongly suggest that if you are a hypnotherapist and you have a client come to you with voices or who is professing to be spiritually or demonically possessed or even tells you they've donated to a GoFund page to research it using hypnosis, refer them to a psychologist, psychiatrist or GP immediately. Do not assume to think you should help. Do not assume to think you can help them. And do not assume to think anyone in the profession will appreciate you for trying to help them. If you are a hypnotist and think it is your responsibility to take it upon yourself to work in this area, may I suggest even more vehemently that you adopt a different professional title altogether. I sincerely hope that any member of the public will express grave concerns that someone describing themselves as a hypnotherapist is offering resolution to such problems. Because the alternative is that they're assuming that this is the status quo and that the whole profession should be given a wide berth as a result. Disturbingly, the thread has unearthed other proponents of telepathic hypnosis, who despite offering more flimsy and contradictory arguments, such as citing other defunct and discredited research organisations as proof, and who ironically all survive on donations from dim, gullible people. These proponents also talk of demons, curses, demons summoned to control people offering telepathic interpretation and so on and so forth. But what the thread doesn't have is enough fellow professionals publicly saying, what the bloody hell are you talking about this for on a hypnotherapy forum? And this is needed because this unhelpful conversation should not be allowed to flourish within the realms of normality, let alone as a professional discussion amongst hypnotherapists. As churlish and crap as much of the infighting I mentioned at the start of the blog may appear to the average Joe looking for some help, it is the perceived acceptance by the general hypnotherapy community of bullshit like this as normal that is going to make prospective clients run full speed in the direction of the nearest CBT therapist or counsellor. And I for one won't blame them. Isn't it ironic that many hypnotherapists expend so much energy in the derision of the likes of CBT as a viable therapy whilst not regulating their own profession, when a quick comparison of the Googled searches telepathic hypnosis and telepathic CBT illustrates that whereas the latter is seen in terms of a solution to spiritual problems connected with delusions of telepathy, the former in many instances includes the notion of telepathy as an acceptable and proven part of the process. Now, if the hypnosis and hypnotherapy profession ever has a chance of growing and maturing to the level CBT has done, and in a much shorter space of time, I add, it needs to stop being so bloody stupid. The reason so many hypnotherapists fail isn't like many suggest, because there's too many of them. The reason so many fail is because there are way too many stupid ones. And sadly, there's lots of amazing ones too who are being done a great disservice by either the few or the apathetic. Think about it. What is the point of mentioning telepathic hypnosis ever unless you want to target a very tiny, specific and quite frankly gullible clientele? Regulated profession or not, at what point did those hypnotherapists who deviated into this special kind of hypnosis think the professional ethics and responsibilities of referral didn't apply to them at all when it came to working with potentially psychotic clients. Hypnotists lament why the profession remains in the shadows of less effective therapies or techniques and it's because we tolerate this kind of crap in the mainstream more than they do and for that 
We will all be judged stupid until we are not. And yes, indeed, while our rapturous hand-clapping audience applause was going on there, I was shouting in the background, bravo, bravo, encore, encore. And I really enjoyed that. You know, if you examine the growth and the perception of the field of mindfulness, for example, you'll see that it is being recommended by conventional health practitioners. The evidence base is lauded and it's very well disseminated by professionals using it and referring to it. And it has momentum of credibility in in, in a fraction of the time that the field of hypnotherapy has existed as a mental health solution in the Western world. Yet, um, you know, those of us in the, the hypnotherapy field suffer because of so much myth, misconception, flights of fancy, ill-conceived connotation uh, that we have. Um, It strikes me as such a shame. Anyhow, my thanks to Nick Ebden for being persuaded uh, by me to record this and share it on the podcast. Uh, He's a really good guy looking to further this field um, and this comparison of the fields of mindfulness and hypnosis uh, seems to me to be such a great link to the next segment. I I should be on radio, really I should. So next up, we have this week's professional discussion. I welcome back Dr. Birgit Zutman. Um, she lectures on the use of mindfulness and specialises in incorporating mindfulness into uh, her hypnotherapy work. And it's something, you know, it's a, it's a topic, a subject we've not touched upon with any of my former guests. So that is what we discuss here. Here is this week's exciting professional discussion with Birgit Zutman. Enjoy. <music> So I'm back now with Dr. Birgit Zotman, and um, one of the areas that Birgit specialises in and that she speaks about around the world is, is, is using mindfulness as well as hypnotherapy. And um, um, w- welcome back, Birgit. P- first of all, um, could you just, f- for anybody that, that doesn't know or doesn't really have a good a good grip of what we're talking about when we talk about mindfulness, can you just give us an idea of what we, what we mean? What What is mindfulness, first of all? I learned mindfulness with Jock Kabat-Zinn, and um, he is a big MBSR teacher. Um, yeah. It's about to be here in the present, yeah. to be aware what's happening in the now, to accept what is happening in the now, and not judgmental. You can change only things you are aware of. Yeah. If you are not aware of something, you can't change it. And so the first thing I teach my clients is the awareness. Mm. This is not so easy sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because we distract ourselves. We don't want to feel on our bodies the the stuff we feel. Yes, all yeah. negative. We run away from us to be aware of what's happening now. Yeah, yeah, and and how does it then fit in with 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 what you do as a hypnotherapist? And how does it fit in with with, with what a th- hypnotherapist does? For me, it's um, I can be um, better. I teach them to be aware of themselves, what is happening in the now, non-judgmentally, and to be open to what is changing. I open them with mindfulness 
to, to the change process. Why is it important? Because then I can give all the suggestion in their words and they are open to it because they are open to to the change. But before you can change, you have you need the awareness. What is right now there? What I'm feeling. I just had a client. She told me that somebody told her she she is not in the middle of herself. And I asked her, What does it mean to be not in the middle of herself? Are you the woman who are not? You can't have no middle inside yourself. You understand this? Mm. Yeah. 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 yeah absolutely. Who are, who are you, and who are you want to be in the future? With acceptance of the now. Now I feel insecure. Now I feel mm, whatever I feel in my body. Yeah. But yeah. to realize this, this is for me a process and I like to do this with the conscious because we want to change our conscious feeling, our daily feeling. And I open them. I do, with most of my clients, I do a small thing maybe i can do it with you yes do you have one minute time yeah yeah absolutely so close your eyes and then i will tell you two words and just realize the feelings or thoughts that in your body no 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 no, 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 and now, yes, 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 open your eyes, mm. and most of the people feel the difference. It's just a word without content. And they feel it feels different. Yeah, absolutely. The, the people know is a threat. And they say constantly no to themselves. No, it's not right how I feel. It's not right um, how I look. It's everything. It's a problem. And it's not good. And they say, telling them to themselves no. And I teach them to open themselves to the yes. I feel this in the moment. And this is good. And then I can change it. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> there I go. Yes, I'm saying yes, yes. Yes, um, um, yes to me, that's, it's the meaning of acceptance. Yes, now I feel this. Now I have a body weight that's much too high, but I have this. Yes, and then I can change it. I don't have to run away always for myself, distract my, my, myself for, for what I'm feeling. I feel the pain, yes, and then I can change it. Mm. The concept of mindfulness. And most of the people, they read my website and they are curious about it. And then I open them to hypnosis, to new suggestions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and so what, what applications 
does this have the, the the approach that you utilize with with the mindfulness um within within your hypnotherapy practice um, um what, what kind of applications does it have and, and and what ways do you typically find yourself using it how i do it um no no more the kind of the kind of issues that you that you deal with um using mindfulness i mean you mentioned there for example yeah. body weight um you know yeah. accepting that 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 one's body weight was too high um, um and recognizing that yes this is very very painful for i have a lot of weight loss clients and i um, tell them that the process i do always the emotional stuff about weight loss no dieting no losing weight because it's um i don't have the pill that they can lose weight in four weeks 20 pounds or so i don't make such promises no. i tell them that's how you manage your feelings mm. the most of the people we eat because we are happy we are lonely we are nervous we are um whatever feeling you can answer this feeling this eating something and I teach them yes to have the awareness why and when do you eat um, but mindfulness I, I use for everybody right but it's always awareness what is there at the moment what is my problem yeah yeah so it's um, um, it, it's something that's an essential skill that you are equipping all of your clients with yeah, yeah, um, and 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 that's something that you do pre prior to yes. hypnosis and the hypnotherapy, is it? Yes, always, always, and I teach them all have to do something. Yes, to be yeah. more in the present, because yeah. my clients are not meditators and they yeah. don't come to me to meditate. But I teach them some small exercises, mindfulness exercises to be more in the present, to feel mm, so that they have the chance to focus more on things they have got for them. Yes, yeah. it's, um, yes, and every client has to do something because I believe we are changing if we are doing something, not just talking about it. Yeah. And I have not the power to do the change to so that they have the experience I can change myself. Who is responsible for the change? Not me as a hypnotherapist. No, my client. Yeah, yeah. And I think you know a, a lot of people. Certainly, um, um, one of one of the areas that 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 a lot of my own research has been focused heavily upon is you know how we communicate with with ourselves. And it's very difficult to communicate with yourself in a new new fashion if you are unaware of the kind of automatic thoughts that you are having um and and likewise with with even with behavior more more behavioral techniques um um you know one needs to know and be aware of and be mindful of um the the the, the scenarios the situations the the kind of things that trigger unwanted behaviors in the first instance so i i can completely understand that it's a very valuable skill and tool with regards to equipping people with with having an awareness of their issue yes they can change something if you are not aware 
of things. What is triggering you if you are realizing that you have too much pain in your life or too much, uh, whatever it is. Yes, and this is, I tell my clients, the goal is to be your best friend inside yourself. Yeah, yeah. This always judging that they are aware of how harsh the most people are and not only in Germany, I think in the States as well and in England, yes. We yeah. are so harsh to ourselves to be our best friend yeah. that we can go into the direction we want to go and to have choices only if you're aware of the choices and the most of the people are not aware of the choices because they are not aware of what's happening inside themselves, outside themselves. Yeah, 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 that makes a lot of sense, absolutely. And um, I know that mindfulness has got a, got a good evidence base with regards to, to pain applications, for example. Um, do, 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 you find yourself, do, do you find yourself working with a lot of clients to help um, alleviate pain? Mm, I don't make the difference mm, between physical and mind pain. Yes. Yeah. yeah. This, uh, if you are really overweight, the people experience a lot of pain in their body. Yes. Yeah. And they want to run away, like my clients who have chronic pain uh, in their body. Yes, feeling yeah. um, whatever they have this, and I'm working with all my clients, and with chronic pain clients, it's most valuable it's very hard to bring them to go into the pain yeah to realize where the pain is to say yes to the pain and not to distract always themselves from the pain yeah. um, it's very helpful but it's hard work yeah sure sure Talk yeah absolutely because i I sometimes realizing myself pitying them with chronic pain. They have a long history of pain and they come very desperate to you. And so, and then mindfulness is helping me as well to be um, straight with them and don't pity them yeah. if I'm realizing that I'm pitying them. Yeah, yeah. And so, and so the, the, the distinction that you made earlier about um um emotional pain and and physical physical pain really you don't you don't necessarily categorize them that way it's more it's more that you recognize that that everybody has a pain of some kind it's in the brain as well the same regions our in our brain is no difference between physical and my mental pain yeah. It's the same region, and so I think it feels the same if you're seeing the people who, why don't, why are they eating so much? They are not stupid. Yeah, yeah, yes? sure. And I have a lot of really, really heavy people. Yeah. And um, they are all in pain. And to realize... Um, the pain is the most important thing for them to change themselves, to go into the pain and to, to resolve this pain, but not running away. Yeah. And they run away with a bad habit eating, but the bad ha habit can be gambling, sex, whatever. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. Um, um, now, 
this is fascinating stuff. I could just I could just go on and continue speaking about this. Um, um, and and you you continue to present and teach um, 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 on this subject around the world. Um, 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 and can, are people able to read a little bit more about this at your website? Yes, there is. There are some things in my website. Great, great. Well, in that yes. case, yeah, yeah. In that case, we'll keep these the references um, um, and the links to the pages on your website with regards to the mindfulness um, um, and the way in which you you employ it um, um, at this episode's page of the Hypnosis Weekly podcast. Um, um, and and we we are out of time. Um, Dr. Birgit Zotman, thank you ever so much for coming on to the show and, and speaking to us about mindfulness and hypnotherapy. Thank you so much for having this opportunity. And yes, thank you. It's my pleasure. I enjoyed that and I really loved the exercises that Birgit shared. Um, uh, our discussions really reminded me of the value of and using the notion of the observing self, whereby one can dissociate from thoughts and watch them rather than be directly inside them, reacting to them emotively. Um, Birgit and I chatted for a while after the recording. She's a very generous lady with her time, her enthusiasm for the field. Uh, do contact her or check out her website to learn more about her and her work. OK, this week's evidence-based hypnosis factoid. Um, the, the, the fact of the week is another attempt to link in with a seasonal reference. We've just had Valentine's Day here in the UK, so I thought I'd get something as relevant as possible for a factoid of the week this week. And yes, it's heart related. There have been conflicting results regarding whether hypnosis alters variability of heart rate. Um, that's according to studies by D. Beneditus and colleagues in 1994 and Ray and colleagues in a 2000 study. However, the most recent study of heart rate variability and hypnosis showed that participants receiving hypnosis with suggestions were able to decrease their heart rate and increase parasympathetic aspects of heart rate variability. That's according to a 2005 study by Sebastiani and colleagues. So hypnosis and suggestion can alter heart rate variability despite having mixed results regarding neutral hypnosis um, um, affecting and influencing um, heart rate variability. Um, and I give study references over at this episode's page of the Hypnosis Weekly website. So that is it for our uh, 65th edition this week. I do have many more exciting guests that are welcome to Hypnosis Weekly in coming weeks too. We'll be discussing, debating, celebrating and above all remaining friends. Next time out, I welcome Sarah Swanton to the show. We'll be discussing the topic of therapist burnout amongst hypnotherapists, uh, among other things. Um, you're going to enjoy it, benefit from it greatly, I believe. All the references made in the discussions, along with related links, are posted at each episode on the Hypnosis Weekly website, www.hypnosis-weekly.com. That's hypnosisweekly with a hyphen in the middle, .com. I absolutely welcome your thoughts, comments, suggestions, and questions, so do please message me or add them on the Hypnosis Weekly website. I'll make sure they are addressed, answered, and explored accordingly. Do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter, anywhere else, really help us reach the hypnosis field. 
Thanks again go out to Dr. Birgit Zotman and my good friend Nick Ebden. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Adam Eason. This has been Hypnosis Weekly. Until next time, goodbye for now. Mm-hmm.